This is a, a Sawyer water filter, and I've taken these water filters. Actually, this is kind of a mini one. It says on here that you can get uh, 100,000 gallons of clean water. It's a lot of water through this filter. The ones that we give when I've been to Fiji and Nicaragua and Costa Rica, uh, and the ones that they're giving over in Liberia today because we have a huge movement to try to transform the entire nation of Liberia and Africa, uh, is, are, they're larger, and they will actually take care of a household for 10 years. They're, they're about that big. But I, I wanted to show you this because when we go over to these uh, oftentimes third world countries or places where people are uneducated, you know, their families are being affected to the extent that, the, you know, the children are constantly sick and they have diarrhea and sometimes dysentery and, and uh, all these things are going on. And from a, a third world perspective, because they're uneducated and because they don't live in a, they don't have a scientific view of the world that you and I do, they don't get like bacteria. Like, well, if you can't see it, if the water looks clean, then, you know, it, it, it must be okay to drink. And they don't understand all of that stuff that's in the water that's causing them to be sick. Again, because they don't have a scientific, informed view of, of, of uh, things like we do. If we went over to the San Diego River, how many of you would drink out of the San Diego River? Like, no way, right? You can actually smell the San Diego River, I'm telling you. But if you use one of these water filters, I have a friend of mine who actually used it and drank right from it. Uh, they, they were doing a, new, a special newscast. Uh, and suddenly all the bacteria is out of it, it's good. Because that which you can't see, that which will harm you, even though you can't see it, will make you very sick. But if you take it out, it changes everything. So today, I want to talk about, beginning with, do, do you have a worldview, a supernatural worldview? Now, what would that mean? That would mean that you and I believe in things that we can't see, a supernatural worldview. That means that we actually believe, not only do we believe in God, who we can't see, we, we, we believe in what we can see, in his creation, but we also believe in demons. We believe in Satan. We believe in the devil. We believe in the biblical view that, uh, that there actually are demonic forces out there. That's the invisible world that we're going we're gonna to talk about today. Do we have a supernatural view of the world, and are we actually prepared to deal with that? Like, first of all, you have to believe that it actually exists. I want to read a, fair, a very famous um, few words to you from C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys heard C.S. Lewis? Oh, man, what an amazing man he was. He wrote, uh, of course, Screwtape Letters and Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia for Kids, on and on and it goes. And so one of the books that really, really influenced my life, I was in um, college, and he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it was about spiritual warfare. And if you, if you, uh, if you know anything about the book, you know that there's this, this guy, the, the, his name's Screwtape. He's like one of the big, like, hierarchical major demons. And he's training one of his underlings. And this guy's name is Wormwood. And he's saying, okay, here's how you, here's how you take him out. Here's how you deal with, with people. And so I'm going to read this little part to you. He says, I do not think that you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The patient would be you and me. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, uh, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, therefore, he cannot believe in you. Well, it, it all starts with actually believing in the existence of that invisible world that there are forces out there, there are dark forces out there, demonic forces out there, that, that the minions that are out, there are out there and they're bent on destruction, that they're playing for keeps. And, and if you don't believe that, if you don't know that, then you are not prepared for the battle, for the spiritual battle that's going to be a part of 
what we face as Christ followers. A lot of you, maybe you didn't know that, and I always try to warn people. Every once in a while, somebody goes to a church and they say, in, in so many words, it's kind of like, sign on the dotted line, pray the prayer, and your life will be wonderful. And, and, and I always try to tell people the truth. I say, well, look at, yeah, your life will be on a certain level. A lot of great things are going to happen in your life. But I also want you to know that you will, from the day that you begin to follow Jesus, you become a part of a different kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, which puts you in direct opposition to another kingdom called the kingdom of darkness and Satan and everything that he wants to do to mess up your, your life. Uh, so how do we prepare for that, uh, that, that battle? How do we prepare to endure that spiritual battle? Because if you are here today and you would say, I'm following Jesus, uh, I am a Christian, then you are in a spiritual battle. Whether you want to believe it, whether you want to own it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. So the question is, how do we go about, or what do we do in that battle? Well, the book of Ephesians answers some of these questions today. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians. By the way, we're almost done with this. I know some of you have really, uh, they're like, oh, Ephesians is a great book. Some of you are like, can't wait to get out of Ephesians. Um, but this is one of my very, very favorite parts of it. If you, if you were to divide the book of Ephesians up, it's, it's six chapters. I, actually, I call it a book. It's actually a letter written by, by the apostle uh, Paul. And it's actually, you could divide it into three different sections. The first section, what we would say sit, and then it would be walk, and then it would be stand. So the first three chapters were the sit part. You say, well, what do you mean by sit? It was all about foundation. It was all about knowing who we are in Christ. Remember he kept saying, like over 40 times, he said, in Christ, in Christ. And so for three chapters, Paul says, look it, this is who you are. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. And, and he begins to talk about all the different benefits that you and I have as children of God. Now, why is that so important? Well, we understand how important identity is. If I don't know who I am, if I don't know who I belong to, if I don't know what, this, what I have at my disposal, then I'm kind of a lost person. So for three chapters, he just drills in. He goes, this is who you are. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And then he goes into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and this is the begin to walk. So once we know who we are, we begin to walk together uh, in fellowship. We begin to walk. Remember, he uses the word uh, um, one another, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. It's not about me. It's about the we. And so we begin to do church life together. We begin to, uh, to support each other, help, help each other. And so for those three chapters up until the part we're going to get to right here, it's like, okay, okay, this is how we do life together. This is what the church looks like. This is how we change the world. This is how we make our mark. We're empowered. And then finally we come to stand. And in the next three weeks, we're going to discover why we need to stand. Okay, and we have to stand against an enemy. We have to stand against uh, everything that the, the devil and the world of darkness brings against us. So, beginning with verse 10, chapter 6, says this. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's scheming, friends. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Yes, evil is out there in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we're going to talk about that. What is the day of evil? You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, and we're just going to stop right there. So he's, just get, he's getting ready to get into, so this is, here are your, your weapons, your spiritual weapons. 
that, uh, that you can use. And next week and the week after that, we're going to be talking about what those weapons are. But we have, we have to allow, we have to first of all know that we are in a battle. You've got to know that first, first and foremost. We're in a battle. There's a, there's a battle plan that the enemy has against us. I want to read to you uh, a quote from, I don't know how many of you have ever read The Art of War, uh, but this comes from that book. It says this, If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If, if you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. you got to know yourself and be real with yourself. you got to know who the enemy is, and then you have to know what weapons you have at your disposal. And that's, that's what we're going to discover for he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Isn't that a lot of times what we think it is? It's my boss. He is Satan. And, you know, and just, we make it all about that. Or we say, I'm married to a demon, you know, or, 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 or my next door neighbor takes meth, and then I know that they're, you know, it, it's all about them. And it's true that the spiritual world, the forces of darkness, drive people to do crazy stuff. But what Paul is saying, he says, that's actually not the enemy. That's the result of what the enemy is doing. But that's not the enemy. Like, when we look at our country today, I mean, this was a tough week for California, was it not? I mean, you had that shooting over in Thousand Oaks, and uh, I, was, I was talking to somebody earlier, and, and they were from that area, and they were just saying it really was considered to be the safest place you could ever be. And then this guy comes in and shoots the place up. Do you know that over 300 people now have been killed in those kind of situations in our country this year? In 2018, over 300 people have been shot, random shootings of somebody walking in and just just blowing a place up with bullets. Like, what, what, what drives that? I mean, what kind, of, what kind of a person walks in with the intent of killing a whole bunch of people? And I guess the bigger question is, what, what, but what drives it? How, does it? how does that happen? Well, there actually is evil, and there actually is a world of darkness out there. And, 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 and it, you know, shooting is just part of that. All the other things that we see today, all the, the drug addiction and, and, and uh, the families that are falling apart and, and you know, all those things, are all, they're all part of that. It's not against flesh and blood, but against what the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realm. Why is it that there's so much racism? Why does one country hate another country? Why does one country want to blow up another country? Where does that all come from? What's driving that on a cosmic level? What's driving that? Something way bigger than you and me. It's up in the heavenly realms. And so we have to recognize the real enemy who actually has a battle plan. He's got a plan. He's not just being random. He's got you right in his sights, just like he has me in his sights. When I was in junior high school, they, I know you call it middle school now, but when I was in school, it was junior high school, my family moved to a different community, which meant that I was going to be in a different school. And this school was really a gnarly school. Um, there was little gangs that were running all around the school. And my very first day, you know, I had guys trying to beat me up. And, and, uh, and this happened just like day after day. And I, I basically, I was just terrorized in the school. And I thought, you know, what am I going to do? I went home, and my dad uh, taught me how to, how to fight, he taught me how to box. He said, Steve, you've got to learn how to defend yourself. And so, you know, I learned how to box. And uh, one day, I'm in a classroom, 
And this guy thinks that I'm like, I don't know, checking his girlfriend out or something. And the next thing I know, this is inside the classroom in an English class or something. He comes over and he just starts, you know, wailing on me while I'm in my desk. So I'm trying to fin this guy off. And I'm just hoping that the teacher will come to my rescue. And she goes, boys, take it outside. That's the world I grew up in. No such thing as zero policy or, you know, tolerance in my school, right? So we got to take it outside, and then we're going to continue the fight. And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, here we go again. And so I, I used all the skills that my dad had taught me. Unfortunately, he did not teach me how to fight dirty. And, and, and so, because he said, if you're going to fight, you know, fight honorably, you know, use your, your fist, you know, nothing else. Well, this guy was kicking me all over the place. I don't want to tell you where he was kicking me, but he was kicking me all over the place. And so I come home, and I'm pretty beat up, and I tell my dad, I go, Dad, you know, I got into a fight today, and the teacher didn't even stop it, and, and uh, it, you know, I'm pretty, pretty bruised up here. And my, my dad said, well, tell me about the fight. And he told me, he says, Steve, Steve, Steve. He goes, you got to fight them on their terms, you know? When they fight that way, you got to fight that way. Well, let me just tell you this, that the devil does not play fair. He does not play, and he's going to, he always hits below the belt, and he will kick us everywhere and that's just what he does. And so we got to recognize that he's got a, a battle plan. And so let's talk about what are some of his tools, the tactics that he uses. You know, one of the things that we need to understand about Satan and all of his minions and everything is this, that they've been observing humanity for thousands of years, and they know us really well. As a matter of fact, yeah, I hate to acknowledge this, but they know us better than we know ourselves. And here's the other thing. We're not that hard to figure out. We're really not that hard to figure out. I mean, think about it. How many of you, you've been married long enough, so long, that you can say, I can almost tell you what my spouse is thinking. I can predict what's going to happen if this, that, or the other thing happens. Well, then think about all the knowledge acquired through all the thousand years of the world of darkness and going, oh, we know how they work. We know how they operate to come against us. So here are some of the tactics they use. By the way, I just uh, I want to encourage you to, to uh, hold on to your outlines if you have them, or you can go back and check it out on the website. These scriptures are great, and they'll give you some insight into what we're talking about today. So I think the first one really is just what we call the head-on collision. Well, what's the head-on collision? Well, this is a description that Peter gives of, of the devil. He says he's, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, in 1 Peter 5.8. That gives you some description. When you think of a roaring lion looking around for the prey, going, I just want to kill something. I want to devour something. He said, that's, that's what the devil is like. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, 10. He said that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, know this. He's not that little character that you see on Halloween running around in, in, in red tights like C.S. Lewis described. He's, he's playing for keeps. He wants to take out our marriages. He wants to get our kids on drugs. He wants to mess up our life any and every way that he can. Head-on collisions. And then there's the distractions and the detours. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, again, the apostle Paul writing, he says that he blinds the minds of people. The enemy does. Well, so what, what does that look like? That looks like, have you, ever, have you ever tried to open somebody's mind up to the gospel, to Jesus, and it's like they're blind? It's like they just can't see it. You're like, whoa, I, no matter what I say, I tell you my God story, I, I share things, and it's just like they don't see it. How is it they don't see it? Well, in many cases, and maybe one day you were there yourself, and you didn't see it, and then one day your eyes were actually opened up. But this scripture says that he, he uses distractions, he uses detours, and it comes a thousand different ways. He'll do anything he can to keep us 
from knowing the truth and being set free by that truth. And then there's what we would call targeted temptations. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go to Mark chapter 1, Jesus has a direct attack from the devil himself. Now, here's the deal. The devil himself is not here because we're not all that. Now, I'm not trying to put anybody down, even myself, but I'm just saying he's got bigger targets than us. And so he's got, uh, and I don't know where the devil himself would be. You know, he's commanding all the, these spiritual forces, and, but, but, but uh, probably not here, okay? But he's got all these minions out there, all these demons out there that are doing their dirty work. And so what they do, whoever is assigned to it, is they, they hit us where it hurts. And, and you have to ask, I, ask yourself this question. Great question to ask you. What is my kryptonite? What is the one area? How, how do I get tripped up? What is my kryptonite? We all know if we're honest with ourselves. For some of us might say, well, I know it triggers me, and it, you know, it has to, maybe to do with money, or maybe it has to do with um, lust, or maybe it has to do with uh, uh, worry. Maybe, like, maybe for you, it's just, he just gets, gets you worrying, gets you all sidetracked, and you get all twisted up and everything. But there's some area in your life where it's the kryptonite. And, and if you know what it is, you're way ahead of the game. I, I've learned many times throughout my journey with God. Like when I, I feel it coming. Let me, let me tell you one of mine. This is kind of an interesting one. So one of the kryptonites of my life, earlier in my life, was uh, whenever I got sick, you know, like the flu, the cold, just get knocked down. Um, it just kind of, on a spiritual level, it just kind of also just took it out of me. And I'd find I wasn't praying. You know, I wasn't really dialed in to God. I just was like feeling sorry for myself. And so at some point, I thought, how can I turn this around? It's, this is, it's almost like, and I begin to think about, like, and I'm not, please, I'm not saying that all sickness comes from the devil. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I'm just saying, I noticed that in that season of my life, I was getting a lot of these colds, letting me go to the flus, and other things that were happening to me. So I thought, what if, what if I turned this around and actually used it to my advantage? So that every time that I got sick, I said, this is a good time to pray more than I usually pray. This is a good time to, to read up more than I usually read up and kind of prepare myself spiritually. And I began to do that, and I, here's, here's my reasoning, okay? It, I just thought, um, devil, if you're going to knock me down and get me sick, then I'm going to do damage to your kingdom. I'm going to pray for people I've never prayed for. Uh, I'm, I'm going to prepare myself in ways that I haven't, because now i got time. I'm sitting home. I'm in bed. You know, I'm not feeling well, so I'm just going to go for it. You know, what, you know what happened? I quit getting sick. Seriously. I mean, I'm like anybody else. Every once in a while, I get the occasional cold. But from that point, which was years ago until now, I don't get sick very often. And I have to believe there might have been a conversation somewhere that said, hey, by the way, don't get that. If you're going to do the sick deal, don't do it to him. Because he's just going to pray more. And that's the worst thing. We, you know, prayer is powerful. Like, just, just don't get Stephen Bucci sick. I don't know. That's just, that's just kind of the way that I see it. Targeted temptation. And then lies, doubts, and, and, and deceit. Um, just, I, think, I think lies are one of the primary ways that the devil attacks us. Here's, here's, here's some of the lies. So something like this. You're going through a real, really difficult season in your life, and there's that whole doubt thing, and it's like that little voice inside of you saying, you know what? You're always talking about God's love. He's not loving you now, is he? You're in pain. You're struggling. Where is God now? Where's that God that you're always proclaiming, that God that you're always talking about? And it's that little voice just keeps coming in. Does he really care about you? Is he really even real? 
those are just some of the tactics that he uses to just hurt us, knock us down. And you've got to understand that. He's got a plan, and he knows you very well. He knows how you operate, and he knows how I operate as well. That's why we've got to resist his tactics and, and, and his strategies, and you'll learn about those strategies as, as, as time go, goes on. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. He's scheming all the time. He's out and about. And so if you're going to fight this fight, you've got to remember that it's a supernatural fight, okay? It, it is, we're, we have to fight it on a whole different level. It's not about us bringing our very best in terms of our intellect and our experience and life experiences, like, I'm going to take the devil on. No, you don't even want to get in the ring with the devil. You knock you out real quick. You've got to fight the devil in an entirely different way. It says this. Here we are. Finally, be strong in yourself. Is that what it says? Bring your best, all you got. No? Be strong in what? In the Lord. You know, Paul knew this. He was the same one that said that when I am weak, I am strong. Why did he say that? He says, Paul would tell you this. When I'm in a weakened condition, I rely upon God. He was the same one that would say, I can do all things through Paul, because I'm wise and I'm strong and I'm really intelligent and I wrote all these books in the Bible. No, I can do all things through Christ, he would say, who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. There was this reliance on God. You know, if anybody could ever do a little bit of bragging, it probably would have been Paul. Very bright, very ambitious, established churches all over Asia and Europe. Okay, but he never did that. He said, everything I do is because I rely on God. For though we walk in the flesh... We're not waging war according to, to, the, to the flesh. What, is, what does that mean? The Bible, when the Bible describes the flesh, especially in a New Testament way, it's talking about just you and I, our ordinary, everyday walking, talking, our personality, the way we do life, apart from the power of God in our life. And so what the Apostle Paul would say here, it says, look, it, if you're going to wage war against spiritual forces, you can't do it just on what you bring to the table. You've got to bring God into this. You've got to rely on what he can help you with and the power that he will give you, and he'll give you power. I mean, if you're a Christ follower, you've already got the Holy Spirit inside of you, right? He calls it our advocate. He leads us to truth. He empowers us, and, and, and we're going to need all of that and more, which means that we have to decrease our self-dependence. Again, anytime that you and I go, okay, I'm feeling particularly strong today. We're going to take on the, fear, the forces of darkness. No, nah, it's, it's going to be a bad day. You're just going to get whipped really bad. Always, always rely on God and, and what he's going to help you, which means we have to increase our divine dependence it's like every day. And, and this, is, this is a lesson that I've learned in my life. As I get older, as I journey more and more with God, I find myself calling on God more in every situation. You know, there's, there's kind of that thing of like, well, I can fix this because, you know, I'm all that. And then there comes a point where like, maybe, maybe not so much. If God was involved in this, I could probably fix it a lot better. And, and, and we do that. And it says, in his mighty power, in his mighty power, not mine, his mighty, I just give credit, go, you know, a lot of good things are happening in my life, and most of it, I can give credit to him, because he's the one that is with me, helps me, empowers me, and supports me. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So just for a moment, what are the weapons of the world then? Like on a uh, relationship level. Yeah, what are the weapons of the world where we're like, okay, I've got a real situation on my hands? Well, you, when you think about it, our weapons are 
probably not real noble. They're, they're weapons like manipulation. They're weapons like, I'm going to one-up you. And uh, I mean, most of the weapons that we use to fix a situation, not always, are not the best weapons. He says, so don't use the methods of the world. Don't use those methods. Use mine. On the contrary, the ones that we would use for, that will guide, and in the next few weeks we're going to talk about this, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everybody know what a stronghold is? Stronghold is that area in your life where you're stuck. You can't rise above it. A stronghold could be an addiction. A stronghold be, could be a cycle, like there's some kind of a cycle in your life, and you cannot rise above that cycle. You're stuck there, and if you're really honest, you go, I, I don't know how to get out of this thing. That's a stronghold. A stronghold might be a generational thing. It goes from family to family, and it just history just keeps repeating itself. And you're like, why is my family stuck in this thing? And why are we stuck in alcoholism? And why are we stuck in, you know, sexual addiction? And why are we stuck in poverty? And on and on and on. It's just like generational. And there's this thing that you're stuck in, and it's a stronghold. Well, guess what? The Bible tells us that we can bust out of those strongholds. But we're going to need the power of God to be able to, be able to do that. God's strength. Now, here's the good news. We've been talking about all that the enemy brings to the table but we bring a lot more when we have God because his power dwells in us. In 1 John 4.4, 4, it says, because the one who is in you is greater is greater than the one who is in the world. Well, who's in you? God. Holy Spirit, right? But do we always feel that way? You ever feel like you're just at the very bottom, you're like, I got nothing. I got nothing. And God would say, no, no, you have a lot more than you think you have. You got me. You just have to be able to access me, depend on me, know that I'm, I'm going to help you in this. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, that's a good word right there. It means you can't measure it. I mean, to, to, do, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all of we ask, you say, well, God, I'm asking for a lot. I'm asking you to you know, help my son get off drugs. I'm asking you to help me get through a real situation in my life or at work. I'm asking you to help me, maybe in a physical way. And he says, then you can even imagine, according to his power, his power, not ours, that is work within us. God's up to something. And it's something good. It's always something good. But guess what? The enemy is up to something, too, and it's never good. It's always destructive. Satan's power. Now, here's, here's, maybe some of you, this will help some of you. Did you know that his power is actually limited? Did you know that, first of all, that God and Satan are not opposites? I know some people say that, well, they're just opposites. Actually, they're not, because Satan is a created being. God is not. God is the creator. Unfortunately, God actually created Satan. Things just went really bad. Satan is very powerful, but he's a created being. He doesn't have the same, he doesn't share the same attributes of God. You know, in Theology 101, when I was in college, they began to teach us about the attributes of God, that God is all-powerful, that, that, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Um, that, and we just began to talk about all the different characteristics and attributes that, that God had. He knows everything from the beginning to the end, omniscient, omniscient. And all those kind of things. Is Satan like that? No. Satan can't be everywhere at the same time. He doesn't know everything, or he would not have had Jesus crucified because it kind of sealed his own fate. They're not equals. 
So don't ever think of them as equals. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 21, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, He raised Christ from the dead, speaking of God, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, okay, in the heavenly realms, far above the rule and authority, power and dominion. So there's two there's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God. And what Paul is saying is the kingdom of God is far more powerful if we'll allow it to be powerful, if we'll access it, if we'll depend on it, if we'll call upon that kingdom. Now, here's another thing that some of you may not already know. Satan has already been defeated. You say, well, it doesn't seem like it. Well, here's the thing. The war was won at Calvary. The war was won at the cross. When, when Jesus died on that cross for your sins and for mine, that solved the war, but the battle, the battle rages on. You say, well, well what is, what is the, the battle all about? Well, you need to know this, and, the, and from cover to cover, you can read it. That, and Jesus said it, you know, he comes to steal, kill, destroy. So Satan wants to take out as many people as he can before his time is up. And there will be a day when his time will be up. But until then, uh, like if you really want to hurt me, the greatest way you could hurt me is to hurt my children. That'll hurt me more than anything. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to take out the children of God. Because he knows that that hurts. Satan's already been defeated, but we're in the battle zone. Wherever you live life, wherever you are, whatever is going on, the battle rages on, but we have resources. He's already been defeated. That's why it says, the prince of this world now stands condemned. At one time, he was a prince. He was the prince of this world, but he's done for. But he he continues to fight on for another day. That's why you and I, we have to gear up for battle. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to believe that there, are, there is war that's going on out there. For some of you, I don't have to convince you at all. You're like, I get it, you know. I feel it, man. The war is in my home, and the war is in my marriage, the war is at work, the war is with my neighbor, the war is, I mean, I see it. I see the evil. I watch the evening news. I see it. I feel it. I know that there's a war on there. That's why he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, take your stand against those schemes because they're coming. Every single day. It's, it's, there's never going to come a day when you arri- and I arrive spiritually and the devil goes, ah, forget it. They pray too much. You know, they're just too holy, untouchable. No, nah, that day will never come. He'll just, he'll just keep coming at us day after day. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, what is a day of evil? Well, it depends. The day of evil could be today for you. You never know. It's just random. The day of evil is any evil thing that's going on where the enemy is trying to get at you in your life when the day of evil comes. Sometimes it's a whole season of your life where it's just trying to wreck you, trying to hurt you. It could be on a physical level. It could be on a relational level. It could be on a financial level. But he's just doing his dirty work, and he's just trying to wreck you. It's like day of evil just coming at you that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. It's playing for keeps, folks. Today, I, I, I prayed with two different people that had experienced a very close person who committed suicide this last week. Two people. Every, it seems like every week I'm hearing of suicides going on. You think that's just accidental? You don't think there's driving forces behind that just trying to snuff people out? It's real. It's real. I want to I use a metaphor for a second. And, and uh, so, so bear with me as I 
put this out there. The greatest power and mechanism and method that God has for reaching this world and bring, ushering in the kingdom of, of, of God is the church. It's his chosen method. And when the church comes together, the church is powerful, starting all the way to the book of Acts, the very first century when the church just began to break out in the world. And the church can do great things and has done great things and is doing great things today. So that's the, his chosen method of reaching the world. So let me ask you this, this question. If the church were a ship, would it be a battleship or a cruise ship? That's my question to you. Would it be a battleship or would it be a cruise ship? So uh, several years ago, my family and I had the, the opportunity and privilege of, of being on a cruise ship, and it was so much fun. If you've, how many of you guys have done a cruise? Cruises are fun. If you, man, you just like eat like you've never eaten in your life. You know, drinks all the time, all the clubs are open, entertainment, the casino, um, the pool. I mean, it's an amazing experience. You're like, wow, this is just incredible. And then there's the battleship. The battleship, completely different, right? Um, if you're on a battleship, you know, you are, you, you are focused, you, you man your position, um, you know, there, there's a mission to be accomplished, and you are prepared for the attack, right? You're out there for a purpose, and so, like, the enemy's out there somewhere. Now, if, which, I ask you again, which one is the church supposed to be? So, so let me tell you, it's not supposed to be a cruise ship. Okay, one day, you know, that'll happen, but not now. So the problem with a cruise ship, if a cruise ship gets attacked, like, that's it. Half the people on this cruise ship are drunk anyway. So, I mean, they're going to come under attack, and they're just going to go down, and that's going to be it. They're going to be taken out by the enemy. The enemy's going to go, well, that was pretty easy. But if the enemy comes against a battleship where everybody knows their assignment, where everybody says, you know, we're here, we're, we're aware, we're alert, we know that there's an enemy out there, well, that changes everything. So, folks, we are a battleship, and we're in a place called Pacific Beach. And 21 years ago, when we started this church, we started it because we knew that this is an area that the enemy has swooped in on, primarily made up of a lot of young people, a lot of young families here at Pacific Beach, and his desire, his scheme is to take out young people in particular. And I say that because the enemy, and I've been a youth pastor a long time, ever before I became a pastor, if he can take you out young, he's going to do it. If you can establish some destructive patterns in your life when you're young, all the more power to the world of darkness, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the young. I'm going to get those college students. I'm going to get them out, going down Garnett Avenue and get them in the clubs and get them drunk and, and get them have you know, unwanted pregnancies and diseases and all kinds of stuff. We're just going to get them into all that stuff. We're going to set their whole life up. So by the time they're 27, they're wrecked. And then they're 35, and they've been through three marriages, and then they're 49, and they're an alcoholic, and on and on. Anything that he can do to just wreck our lives. And so we come to this place all those years ago, and we said, we're going to stay. I didn't call it a battleship back then, but it just seems to be what we are. That we're out to attack the enemy. We're not going to sit here in this corner and, and you know, have a holy huddle and go, oh, God, please just protect us. No, no, no. We're going to man our stations, and then we're going to get the good news out all over Pacific Beach. And we're going to try to save the lives of the young and the old and everyone. Everyone. That's why we're here, folks. He's playing for keeps, and so are we. And his kingdom is about darkness. 
And our kingdom is about everything that's good, everything that's right. So what ship are you on today? Let's pray. Father, all those years ago when we planted this church here in Pacific Beach, there's a lot of discouragement. There is spiritual warfare going on way back then. The devil doesn't want us to be here. He doesn't want us to have healthy families and good marriages, and he doesn't want us to financially prosper. He doesn't want us to be healthy in any way, experience anything good. But we're here today, and many of us are going to can testify to the fact that, God, you are good. But we look around the community around here, and we see all the, the college students, and we see the younger people and the young families, and we realize that they're under attack, and many of them just don't even know what's coming. They, they don't know what's headed their direction. They don't know what the future is going to look like apart from knowing you. And so we pray for this church. Help us to find our place, to find our mission, to find our purpose here. Mobilize us, God. Help us to be powerful and help us to save lives because your word says that you came to seek and save that which was lost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.